Have you guys been using the recordings? Has anybody been checking them out? They've just uploaded it this week. They yeah. Weren't okay. Before then, does that make sense? Yes. Like, I just got notification because I put a request in that this week. Okay. The last two for Ephesians are now up, Sweet. and the first one from you okay. is now up. I don't know if awesome. the last week is up because we were having some technical issues. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, okay, great. So glad to hear that that's been helpful. That's what we want that, you know, um, it's really good just because, you know, this is all of the subjects covered in course studies are really to encourage and build our faith. Right. And to, you just, sometimes you have questions that you didn't have before you didn't think of before. And so it just helps to go back and to review those things. So hopefully that will serve you and anybody, you know, so today we have a really exciting, uh, ta- hey Joshua, hey. we have an exciting task, uh, it, it, I'm not going to lie, it's a tall order, the, the, <laughs> we, the first week we, we talked about scripture, the doctrine of scripture, and then we capped it off with a very brief like conversation around the doctrine of the Trinity, which is probably one of the most like cumbersome, difficult, just like it, you have to get settled with some some concepts, and so that was fun, but today we're going to talk about uh, the person and the work of Jesus, as well as the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, not small orders, big, big stuff, right? This is, uh, so, but this is exciting. Um, I will tend to want to camp out in this, so if you feel like I'm just going in circles, push me. Just go ahead and just say, get out of here. Let's move on. Uh, it's okay. But if you have questions, um, I'm totally comfortable with spending more time in any given uh, subject or, or issue if you if all have questions. Does, everyone, does that make sense? Okay. So uh, we all come in here, just like we all went in there, and we have a lot of stuff going on. Um, we're not as big a group as in there, but I know this room is full of different kinds of trials and different kinds of obstacles and things that are coming up even in the next couple of hours, in the next couple of days. So it can be very easy for us to be distracted. It can be very easy for us to feel sort of tied down, unable to lean into what uh, we have to, to learn. And so I would just encourage that we take some time, uh, just a few moments to pray and to ask the Lord to just help us, uh, to, to teach us and to release us from those concerns um, as we do get to, to hear this uh, really glorious doctrine. So join with me. Father God, we come to you uh, in need. And we just heard, Lord, that you are able and willing to keep us. Lord, so I pray that as we come in here together to look at your word, Lord, to look at what we have learned from your word, uh, that we would be humble like Jesus, that we would be amazed at who Jesus is, and what he has done, and what he continues to do, and what he will do. Lord, I pray it would light a new and hotter fire in our souls for worship and joy in you. 
Lord, I pray that we would see, Holy Spirit, your amazing work in the history and the movement of the gospel through all time. And I pray, Lord, that we would ask that you would stir in us anew. So, Father, Son, Spirit, I ask that you would help us and guide us as we look through these. And, Lord, I pray that you would just turn off ears if I would say anything foolish. Memories would just completely obliterate those things. And, Lord, we just pray for grace, thanking you, Lord, uh, that you give us an endless amount of it. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Okay, so in the back, there's two sets of notes. One set is from Trey from last week, so those are those are leftovers. So if you're like me and you like some leftovers, go ahead and grab a copy of those. Um, I'm not talking about turkey yet, although that's definitely on my mind. Um, and then on the right are the set that I got uh, that is for this session this morning, and you'll see uh, that it has the three subjects that we're going to cover. Now, um, this is like repeat mode here, but I do not like notes to do all the work. Uh, notes, in my mind, should be supplemental. They should really help you to be able to try to fill in some of the blanks, but at least get you in the right direction. So what you'll notice is, is there's pretty much zero scripture references in here. I know that's very sacrilegious. Trust me, I, I don't miss that. But if you do have a copy of the Statement of Faith, each, each uh, statement uh, has footnoted within it corresponding passages that that particular wording or doctrine or whatever uh, uh, is corresponding to. So you'll see that in there. I didn't think it made sense to provide both of those uh, for you. What I do have in the notes, though, are a couple of items. I have... Uh, I just went through and I looked for words that are sort of not used all the time, provided some quick definitions. Some of them are just me trying to make sense of it, although it's probably muddier than I think. And then some of them are pulled from actual resources, which I footnote at the bottom. And then at the very end, I gave you some trusted resources that if you wanted to read further on any of the subjects, you can do those. That's the same as I gave on day one. Uh, so nothing's changed, and essentially that's the statement of faith, which you can get online, but you can also just grab it back there. Um, but if you have somebody you want to share it with, it is available online. And then there's the, uh, I think, a very helpful resource called the Pocket Dictionary of Theological Terms. It's about the size of this, and it's basically a very quick reference of all sorts of different theological terms, and it just gives you kind of a quick direction on where to go if you want to know more about those things. And then, of course, uh, Uncle Wayne, Wayne Grudem, has a, a, a systematic theology text. Um, that comes in a couple of different forms. Uh, in my mind, you've got to jump in the deep end of the pool at some point, so you can grab the big boy. Um, it's in a blue or in a white back is the second edition, and that has a really great glossary, and, as well as, obviously, the, the actual... Um, the actual uh, covering of the material. So, any questions about that? Nothing. What do you think, Joshua? Nothing at all? Can't think of anything? Okay. All right, if we must. All right, so let's get started. All right, on uh, page one of the notes today, uh, we want to start with the person of Jesus Christ. Now, this is broken down into three different subcategories, so we'll go by each of those. 
I'm pretty simple. I'm a pretty simple guy. So what I like to do is just read through the statement, and then I'm looking for you to tell me what kinds of things stick out, what things are I don't understand this questions you have, whatever, and and we just start talking. Okay, so. I'm happy to sit and lecture, but we do only have a limited amount of time, and there's just no way. If you let me loose on this, like I'm going way longer than we have. So you tell me what you want to discuss, and we can do that, and I'll, and I'll try to help out with a few things. So, Okay, so uh, the person of Jesus Christ. Now, in this statement that's on page 27, it says, in the fullness of time, and this is in refer- uh, reference to the incarnation and two natures. In the fullness of time, God the Father sent his eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, into the world as Jesus the Christ. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, taking on himself a fully human nature and with, with all its attributes and frailties, yet without sin. In this union, two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person of the divine Son without confusion, mixture, or change. Our Redeemer acted in and through both his human and divine natures, in ways appropriate to each, with both natures being preserved and neither diminished by the other. Yet both his human and divine natures are united and find expression in the one person of the eternal Son. Thus, our Lord Jesus Christ, God, the Son incarnate, is fully God and fully man, able to be our all-sufficient Savior and the only mediator between God and man. That's a mouthful. <laughs> any initial questions? There's a couple of things in here we could talk about for a long time. So anything that pops out initially? What's the motivation behind the phrase in the fullness of time? The yeah, so I, I, what I, how I understand this is God's or preordained... Uh, determination to send the son in the form of man was in the fullness of time meaning when time had full so uh in for example in genesis chapter 15 abram has a vision and god says the time of the amalekites has not has not come but when that time comes such and such is going to happen it's the same concept of at the appropriate time designated and predetermined by god jesus would come in the form of man that's what I, okay, I just was curious about the choice of the words uh, partially because I think of forms of time more like the second coming. Like, yeah, you know, consummation of yeah, like all like the end of things. Right. Yep. So that's really good because that term, um, it's the it's in the Greek, it's under it's telos, and then the idea is is we think of like uh, fullness or like basically the extension of something, right, or the end of it, but actually the the implied meaning in that is that it's a very specific point in time that it's that's being aimed at so it doesn't necessarily have to mean the full exhaustion of something it can actually mean a very specific point in time or or whatever that you're aiming to to do something yeah okay yeah we have we have 
had this verse in the past, and it's always confused. Okay. Colossians 1, 15. Mm-hmm. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's that's super cumbersome, isn't it? (laughs) So when we think of the word firstborn, what do we think of? Just just honestly. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. We think of what one who came right and was not once wasn't and now is right. Yeah, this is actually one of the very early. That verse is literally one of the first controversies that comes up in the church over who Jesus is. How we understand who Jesus is. Because there is this debate that says, you know, hey, you know, he, he is eternal, but there was a time in which he was not. That is what we call heresy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that was debated hotly. Um, that is what is called Arianism. So anybody, like, that's a, put that in your, look, I'm going to drop some terms every once in a while. You got to put those in your back pocket for like a, a party or something like that so you can impress somebody. Arianism, yeah. So that is the idea that Jesus was at one time did not exist um, and, and was created. So when we hear things like firstborn of all creation, that is the perception. However, um, in the ancient world, specifically in the Roman Greco world, uh, the idea of the firstborn was uh, more of a uh, office, if you will, than it was an actual status of like birth order. So with being the firstborn in birth order, you essentially were the acting representative or head of the household if anything was to happen to the actual living head of household. So if uh, Robert, if something happens to Robert, then the, the firstborn son is now takes over the household. That's how society, the government, everybody would understand that how that household was being run. So as firstborn, as an office, it has nothing to do necessarily with what order you're born in. It has to do with your responsibility in your office as the firstborn. Does that make sense? So, in the term, in Colossians 1.15, Paul is... Ta- What's up, Josh? Um, two things. One, spelling, Arianism. Oh, see, that's the one thing they don't teach in seminary is how to spell properly. So, let's talk afterwards and I'll try to help you with that. At, so, in the term, firstborn of all creation... Paul is specifically referring to the fact that Jesus is head of all creation. He is fully and completely in control. Not firstborn as in the first one born through creation. Does that make sense? So the, the, the preposition that's in there is uh, uh, it's uh, firstborn um, and then the preposition of... Uh, is actually it's 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 not it's hard because proper English doesn't convey what's being said there in the Greek preposition which is essentially um, trying to convey firstborn over Um, does that make sense so you have to do some sort of gymnastics to to get there in you know between the two languages correct I, I should have Probably just said that. 
Thank you. Okay, Josh, I think you had something else. Yeah, that's an excellent example. Yeah. Yeah, and then you also have uh, Joseph. Joseph goes to get his sons blessed, and then what happens? He's like, nope, switch it up. Right? So there you see how there's this same kind of... Okay, does that make sense? I, wanna, I don't want to leave that there, because that's troubling for some folks. No, I think that's helpful. Okay, good. All right, anything else in here? So I just want to prompt you, every word and phrase in, the, in this statement is specifically chosen on purpose. So if something rubs you a weird way or you're just like, what, you know, what, what he asked me about the, what, why the word choice, that helps if you, if, if you have a question. Does that make sense? Anything specific? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a great ex- excellent question. So in the doctrine of the train, we talked about this briefly on week one. There are the, the defining terms that we use to distinguish the persons because we one of the most important thing about the Trinity is that they are one in essence or being three persons. Okay. So in that, there can be no division between the three persons. So when we describe them or talk about them, they have to share all the same attributes. All the things that are true about the Father, the Son, the Spirit are, you know, are all interchangeable. They're all true. So all those attributes are true. But when we talk about the distinguishing terms, we say the Father is unbegotten, the Son is begotten, and the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So those terms create this sort of sense of unbegotten, begotten, proceeding from. Careful with the table back there. Okay. <laughs> um, does that make sense? So it kind of creates a sort of, I don't want to say ranking is not appropriate, but it gives us an, it gives us an idea so we use that term to correspond with that. Again, we're using language in a way that's not going to adequately achieve what we're, what's, what's real. We're trying to use the same kind of language that's in the scripture to work through these, these terms and these concepts that, were, I mean, thousands of years have been going into wrestling through this. And so that's kind of where we come with some of this. Does that make sense? Any follow-up questions? Okay. What else? Well, to that point, um, I have the same question because when it talks about how, the, how Jesus was um, conceived of, by Mary and the Holy Spirit, I thought, well, wouldn't the Holy Spirit be number two? And I thought, no, duh, because Jesus is eternal. Yeah. And so, and then I thought, well, okay, so here's how I kind of looked at it, and I think this is somewhat of a silly way to do it, but. It's almost like in order of appearance in the Bible, <laughs> right? So yeah. they're introduced to God the Father, then Jesus, then the Holy Spirit. Yep. So that's kind of my way to remember. Except for the Spirit hovered over the water. Oh, I I, you got I, it. I, yes, I know that. Okay. It's how our house is fun. 
Yeah. No, no, no. This is good. But the introduction of the Holy Spirit as a as a commissioning of the church, that's what I'm referring yeah. to. Yeah, no, I agree with that. This guy. My wife likes to throw an elbow. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what I like is that all three are in Genesis one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the creator, the spirit hovered over the water, and then it said, let us make man in our image. So, you know, yeah. people think that there is, like you said, there isn't an order because they've all existed together in perfect fellowship from the beginning. Yeah, from all time. Yeah, yeah, without limit or, or any, you yeah. know, like there's no boundaries, right? I mean, it's yeah. impossible to really explain because it's beyond our thinking because we live within time and yeah, I would be a little nervous if we had like the perfect cookie cutter to be able to say, here's the shape um, that we want to. Like we're all really trying in our brains right now to find a way to make it fit. And it's just not. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. So uh, something that did you have a question? I did have a question. Yeah. Um, the word confusion, it seems it seems almost like it ought to be obvious that yeah, that's an excellent question. So one of uh, one of the reasons why we're very specific in the terms that we choose is we're actually trying to leverage the conclusion of debates in the past. So, for instance, this is about uh, there was there was some debates in the, debates in the early church that were around confusing the two natures, the human nature and the divine nature of Jesus. We would say Jesus is uh, fully God and fully man, right? 100% God, 100%, not 50-50 or something like that. And so when they say no confusion of the natures, meaning that which is specific to his human nature is associated with his human nature, and the same is true for the divine. Here's an example I think I mentioned in class one. This is this is the like mind splitting idea that I, I love to go to is uh, if you've seen and held a newborn baby, there's not anything, there is nothing that they can do for themselves except for go to the bathroom, sleep, and cry. There's yeah, and, and th- yeah, <laughs> that is the extent of what they can do. So, to be 100% man, okay, the same Jesus mentioned in uh, uh, Colossians 1.15 is now in a state of humility where it needs to depend. He needs to be fed. He needs to be cleaned. He needs to be uh, taken care of. And simultaneously, his divine nature is holding all things together. Saturn is where it should be. The sun is glowing as it should be. The moon does its thing as it should be. All of those things continue to exist while, as 100% man, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, is in the arms of his mother, in the elements, just like you. And just like all of us. So when we say we don't want to confuse those things, we wouldn't say that the man, right, is doing the divine and the divine is doing the man. Does that make sense? It's, it's hard, right? But that's the, that's the concept. And, and I just want to say, like, 
anything here that you're like, I got to read more about, I just, I'd push you to these resources and, and we can always just talk through them. Yeah. Every time I work through this material for myself, I'm always like, I got to dig further there. But when you read the text, like especially like if you read John, John 17, for, for instance, is really helpful because Jesus is dialoguing with the Father. And he's talking about their relationship before time. And he's talking about their relationship in time. And then he talks about their relationship in the future and this relationship with us as well. So there is like some, you can see there's this like amazing uh break there's this snapping of our concept of how things are and and jesus does that yeah does that does that help okay it's okay if it doesn't you can tell me i promise (laughs) these are not in stone um and again i i didn't mention it uh i want i want to now that i uh now that we said that uh we look to scripture as our authority. What the Bible says is our authority. Theology, what we're doing right now, is what we have learned, what we believe we've learned from the Scripture, right? And then having that theology, what we've derived from reading Scripture, we then use to help us to understand and interpret Scripture. So it's this sort of circular like circular argument. You've heard of this, Yes. This idea of this cycle that takes place where when you come across something like 1 Corinthians 15 and you're like, that don't sound right. That throws me off. Then, right, through our theology, we can look at it and say, okay, this doesn't match. That's how that I, that's the red flag. This doesn't match. And then that forces us to go back to Scripture again. Okay, why do we and where is that coming from? Does that make sense? So, so everything we talk about here is dependent on the proper and adequate reading and understanding of Scripture. Yeah, it's this, it's this turbine, if you will. Does that make sense? Okay. Any trouble with the idea of incarnation, anything like that, or mediation? Nothing? Okay. All right. Let's go to uh, Bravo, Earthly Life and Ministry. As God's incarnate Son, our Lord Jesus Christ inaugurated the kingdom of God, fulfilling God's saving purposes and all Old Testament prophecies about the one to come. He is the seed of the woman the seed of Abraham, the prophet like Moses, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, the son of David, the suffering servant, God's anointed Messiah. As such, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and lived a sinless life in complete obedience to his father. Jesus entered into full human existence and during common infirmities, temptations, and sufferings of mankind. He is perfectly revealed. He perfectly revealed the character of God, taught with divine authority and uttered truthfulness, extended God's love and compassion, and demonstrated his lordship through the working of miracles and the exercise of divine prerogatives. Okay, another mouthful. 
we touched on a couple of these items so everybody understand the seed concept no. okay well you got to ask <laughs> so in the idea of seed is the idea of a family line um, if we look at the Old Testament starting um, even in Genesis 3, uh, the fall happens and God looks at Eve and says uh, the, the fruit of your offspring, uh, which is the same, same word for seed. Um, and so as you move and depending on the translation of, of the Bible that you're using, sometimes offspring, sometimes uh, seed is used. And this idea is someone in your family, okay, is going to do th something or experience something or represent something. And this is constantly happening when God interacts with people. Specifically, uh, if, you've, if you've spent time in the Old Testament, you've heard, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, so on and so forth, right? You've, you're all familiar with this? That is representing the covenant that was had with Abram or Abraham and continued through the line or the family from Abraham. Now, when in Genesis chapter uh, 12 and chapter 15, 17, uh, God talks to Abraham and tells him of this covenant that he is going to that he has with him, and it always speaks of the seed of Abraham being a blessing to the nations. Uh, that term nations literally is what uh, the term Gentile. It's very interesting, right? Uh, because we think, like, we, we know how the, the Israelites are. Uh, they're very secluded, they're isolated, and they're not to deal with the nations. They're not to deal with the Gentiles. But the promise always consists of Israel, the people of Israel, being a light. This is later in the prophets, looking back at this. A light to the nations, a.k.a. the Gentiles. It's very interesting then. Jesus comes, and what happens in Acts is this explosion of blessing that happens to the Gentiles. Amazing. So the seed, this idea of the seed and the fulfillment of the promises of the seed are all looking to the one seed who is Jesus. So you'll notice if you look at the beginning of Matthew, he takes them all the way back to David. And then if you look at Luke, he takes them all the way back to Adam. And it's very interesting because in Luke he says, son of Adam, Son of God. So, this idea of seed, genealogy, all of this stuff is all about the promise that God made to, to do something through a family, through a specific family line. And that's what that concept is saying. So, when he says the seed, that's what's being referred to. Any, any, does that drive any questions or clarification or anything? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, no. It's amazing. Yeah. So for those who are still looking for the Messiah, yeah. you know, what else are you looking for is what you kind yeah. of want to ask because he fully fulfilled being the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the prophet like Moses, the priest in the order of Melchizedek, the yeah. David. You know, the only thing I think they said about it was sometimes they call Jesus the second Adam. Yeah. That's the only other title that I think of to explain yeah. that he ushered in the new covenant. Yeah. But then you can start going with a lot of different titles. Yeah, and there are. There's a bunch. Um, I mean, there's books out there that go through all of that. So, yeah, that that's excellent. And and really, this whole concept is about what? It's about the faithfulness of God. And uh, you know, frankly, if if you if you really want to simplify it, this is about God simply saying, like, at the minute he he confronts them in Genesis three, it. He's saying, this is going to be dealt with. And you just see the unraveling of history being rolled out, and it's all fulfilled in the seed, Jesus. Uh, it's amazing. I have a question. Yeah. Um, I see that we have the words appointed and anointed mm-hmm. um, right next to each other. And in the definitions, this anointed is one who is designated for a particular purpose or role. That sort of sounds like a point, too. I mean, that sounds like a definition of point. So what is the difference? So, and then you have, you see how it says, see, see Messiah? Yeah. Well, did you see Messiah, Joshua? I see Messiah. Okay. So, <laughs> a point, yeah. So, I, I would, they're, they're, they're interchangeable. Um, yeah, I mean, to be totally honest with you, I didn't, I didn't make that observation. So, thanks for for showing me that, and I'll make a note. Um, the concept here is there is purpose and intent for the individual. God, I just want to make sure. Yeah. This did sound sort of interchangeable with the definitions, mm-hmm. so I just want to make sure. No, you're, you're, you're. I mean, they're, they're, they do have a distinction. I don't imagine that they would put both in there, meaning the same exact thing, right? So. In my mind, they're they're overlapping terms, if that helps. Um, I see what he's talking about. So, um, I see it's anointed Messiah. Right? It's actually just appointed Messiah. Oh, they look so similar. What's up, Josh? Okay, hang on, hang on one sec. Let's make sure they're. I'll, don't let me don't let me move on without coming to you. What's up? Um, so appointed is. I think of appointed as being. God setting a time. Okay, so he's going to, Jesus is, you know, this is the Messiah, he's going to come and he's going to do this at this time. So it's like scheduling an appointment. The anointing is what happens. It's like he's being commissioned, he's being put into service. He's That's when the Spirit descends on Jesus. So what happens before the foundations of the earth? What happens while Jesus is on earth? So sort of like something that happened in the past rather than something that happened presently. Uh, well, so when he was, there was a there was a point in time in Jesus' life when he had been appointed, okay, like when he was 17, but 
but not yet anointed. Okay? okay. So he was always appointed from before the beginning of time. But then at a point in time, when, the, when he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on him, that's what I view as his anointing. And that's when his public ministry started. So yeah. I've seen the two different Yeah, things. Yeah, so you can definitely... I, I'm not opposed to that. Um, I think that it just bears a little clarification. One is in relationship to something happening in time. One is in relationship to something happening by an individual. Yeah, so appointed, meaning, yeah, I know. I mean, it's like, let's add more dirt. This will make things clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, anointed is in reference to an individual being designated to do something. Appointed is for that something to happen at a particular time. Okay. The one's about the person. One's about what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. That's how. That's how I'm. I'm in my mind. I'm reconciling the two. What in regards to what you said, I don't think that's false in the sense that it happened in his earthly ministry. It's not completely wrong. No, no. I would just say. I would just say that's also true in relationship to eternal, eternal, eternity past. Yes. Yeah, so just to clarify that, because I don't want to, yeah, leave that off the table, if that makes sense. Yep. But that's an excellent, excellent point. So, okay, Josh had a question. Um, so I'm looking at um, a thing, and it references, uh, when it's saying seed of the woman, it references mm-hmm. Genesis 3.15, which, got that, that's pretty clear. But then Romans 16.20, um, and that says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Yeah. And that seemed a little out of place and didn't yeah. go with what... Okay, so read read the passage again. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Right, so why don't, read that passage and then let's read Genesis 3.15. Genesis. Here, I'll get Genesis. If it'll ever work for me. Um, just the fact that it took it and it's saying it will crush it under your feet. Confuse me. Three fifteen. Yeah, I will put enmity between you uh, and the woman, and put and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Yep. And so, so what's happening is is the fact that they were saying your feet was confusing. Yeah. So so there's this this is what is called a, an allusion, or it could be a direct citation of the Old Testament by the author. So Paul in Romans is writing and he's giving a persuasive argument and the evidence he provides is for this particular argument is the reference of Genesis 3.15. Also his audience is More than likely, yeah. yeah. And, the, and the wording, the, it's so in our Bibles, the wording's not going to always match because Paul could be using any number of translations, probably a Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew, where our Old Testament is going to be from the Old Testament Hebrew, um, which is, uh, they just, they read differently. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. That, that can be troubling, I know, but that's probably what's going on there. Cool. All right. Anything else? And did we exhaust the question you had, Josh? Joshua? Cool. All right, we're moving like molasses, folks. January. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I, I don't like. I told you, I'm prone to linger in this, so I'm happy to discuss it at, at 
I'll give you a little secret. We may or may not have gotten an extra week for this class if we need to use it. So I'm okay. But I want to be the reason. Not I don't want to, you know, I want to be selfish and be the reason for that. So, okay. Any questions? Okay. All right, let's go ahead and move on to see death, resurrection, and reign. Having fully obeyed his father in life, our Savior was also obedient unto death. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate, dying a substitutionary death for the sins of his people. He was buried and arose bodily from the dead on the third day, vindicating his identity and saving work as God's Messiah and guaranteeing the defeat of death, our future resurrection, and the glorification of our physical bodies. Forty days later, Jesus ascended bodily into heaven, where he is now enthroned at the right hand of God, reigning over all things and interceding for his people as their great high priest. One day he will return to judge all, the, all people and angels, putting all his enemies under his feet and dwelling with his people forever. I think that's worth an amen, don't you? Amen. <laughs> Any questions? So substitutionary death is a question that might come up, might not, but that's that's one we hear and work through a lot. So if you, um, any any anybody, any takers? Okay. How about uh, there? I liked, I really liked the wording here uh, where it says vindicating his identity and saving work. Mm-hmm. Anything there? So here, here's something. I'll, I'll, I'll camp on this. Uh, I like this. So we look at the, the death of Christ, right, as the bad, like that's the bummer. And then the raising from the dead as a, okay, we can party now. Good. Awesome. And I want us to think through, like, the fact that Paul says uh, in Corinthians, if Jesus has not raised, been raised from the dead, what? Like, like we are up a creek. We're in a bad way, right? Um, we are of all people to be pitied because we're still dead in our sins. And this, this concept here is that when Jesus is raised from the dead, everything he has done Everything he aimed at was accomplished. When Jesus is vindicated in his resurrection, we see that who he claimed to be, what he claimed to be about, what he was aiming to do is all legitimate. It is the ultimate stamp of approval on his mission. So, the way that I put it in my mind is the resurrection justifies or makes it, shows it to be true, justifies the crucifixion. Think about that. If it's not for the resurrection, nothing can be claimed in the crucifixion. And it's in the crucifixion that all the work you and I need is done. 
Well, I think of it, yeah, I also like it to think of it as um, to vindicate means to be proven right after perhaps a false conviction, hmm. right? Uh, so Jesus was rightfully convicted of our sin, but falsely convicted of any sin that he had. Correct. Okay. Yeah. But also vindicate means to be proven right, just as a general sense. Yeah. Okay. So there's the legal definition, and then there's this sort of general sense of proven right, and I think it vindicates his claims about himself. Yeah. Um, that he is who he said he was, and that he did what he said he was going to do, although at the time the disciples didn't comprehend yeah. it. Um, and so therefore, and then that's why I think there were so many bodily witnesses, or excuse me, so many witnesses of Christ bodily roaming around mm-hmm. before he ascended. To, there would be no question that he did bodily, um, uh, was resurrected. And that therefore his... Um, his, so he was falsely accused of his own, he had no sin of his own to be accused of, but then he took on the sin and was convicted of that, mm-hmm. paid that price, but still, not only did he pay it, he's like, okay, I've, you've sur- surpassed it and yeah. defeated it, so that, that life sentence that he got didn't stick, but he still satisfied it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's that that's right on. So I think... It is, it is, um, it goes much further, like, it goes way further, I think, than just a validation. Because, like, he is, he is not only, it's, it's more than a a validation of, like, what we perceive to be his claim. Mm -hmm. And we learn more through Paul that there is a massive amount of reality that comes behind that. I know that's a little cloudy the way I said that, but does does that make sense a little bit maybe? There, so um, I I feel like I just lost it. It was there. Oh man, I had it, and it went away. Um, all right. Well, I'm gonna move on. I did you want to? Con- no, that's okay. Yeah. I, yeah. Just, I like that word because it's sort of the dual meaning, the legal part, um, and then the, also. Vindicating that he said who he was, what he did, yeah. what he said he was going to do, and he is who he said he was. Yeah, um, so. that's excellent. Any any other questions around that? Or okay, so there's a super simple one in here that we probably are all going to take for granted, but I think is important to mention. Do we notice how they said the bodily resurrection? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So any like, what is the? Why would we? Definitely want to slip that in there. Not like, wouldn't we assume that in the resurrection? Well, we shouldn't, right? But I, if what's that? Okay, very good. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Is that there needs to be a solid confirmation that we we affirm that Jesus resurrected bodily, right? So this is not some kind of like ethereal thing that happens that sort of like the ghost. Yeah, exactly. This is not that. We're not in any way affirming that. And so uh, there are several demonstrations specifically of Jesus eating with people. And then there's the uh, affirmation of Thomas touching and feeling. And then if in First John he says, that which we have heard with our own ears, seen with our own eyes, touched with our own hands. Do you notice how First John starts that way? What's he doing? 
affirming the bodily resurrection. He is both affirming that, and he's also affirming the fact that he is a true first-hand witness of the things that he's proclaiming. First-hand witness in the ancient world is the best evidence you could possibly have. How do we feel about that today? What's the first thing we are tempted to think about a first-hand witness? That's not a problem then. If you're saying you saw it, in that world, honor and shame is such a heavy thing. I mean, it ends your life. If you're not honorable, if you do not honor your family, your community, that's life and death. Because if you shame them, you are cut out. You're on your own. And you don't survive in that world on your own. So to make a claim about seeing something, about witnessing something, is assumed you would not knowingly put yourself in a position to be shamed. To shame your family, to shame your community, to shame whatever. We read several times. Yes. What, what do you think? I'll let you finish your talk. Okay. All right. You stop me if I go too long, okay? Don't lose it like I did earlier. Uh, essentially, the, the, the constant affirmation of Jesus' bodily, bodily resurrection is to demonstrate something that simply has not been seen or heard of. And that is people that are dead stay dead. Okay, what was your thought? You know, in talking with, like, my son, uh, is is there any disagreement that Jesus did raise from the grave? It said that he was seen by many people, mm-hmm. and just like those examples that you gave. But, you know, could he come back and say, well, that didn't really happen? Yes, he could. Um, but that that happened immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, we read in, I think it's Acts, where uh, there, maybe it's, I, I'm having trouble remembering, I think it's in Acts, where there's a claim that the apostles went and stole the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a, from the very beginning, this is opposed. Um, but the, the testimony of the New Testament and the testimony of the early church um, is that he very much is alive. Yeah. And the disciples believed it so much that they died for it. Yeah. They died for it. Yeah. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't die for something you... I don't think so. Trying to pull over on people. Yeah. Probably uh, there's two... That is an incredibly compelling argument. I think there's two others that support this as well. Uh, first of all, uh, you have the Apostle Paul, who really, it makes no sense... Uh, it really makes no sense that he converted... Uh, and, and by converting, I, I, I mean, he went from murder, mur- orchestrating and uh, uh, executing the capture and the imprisonment and sometimes the execution of believers to the point that nobody trusted him when he 
did convert, uh, to going and preaching the most bold, like boldly among uh, the brethren. That makes no sense. I mean, there's that. There's just no. Um, there's no good reason for that outside of something like what he says happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The second is is that uh, if you look at the nature of the church in its early years and really even now, I, like here's a great experiment. Um, so just look around the room really quickly and and think about the relationships in the room, okay? And some of us know each other better than others. Would we know each other outside of Jesus? If you didn't know Jesus, would you know and have fellowship and love and care for one another in this room or not? I would not have met my wife. Okay, so think about that, uh, nor mine, thank you. <laughs> but this is, this is an amazing concept, is that Jesus is saving people through time in space, like all around the globe, all through time, he is bringing people together that have nothing in common. And historians are troubled by this because they don't get why, especially in the Roman world, again, this honor and shame society, why you have folks from all sorts of socioeconomic backgrounds that are dying together, that are communing together, that are abandoning all the things that make them productive parts of, of the society, thus surviving and thriving, all in the name of Christ. So there's, a, there's so many amazing testimonies. I think those three are very strong that we could go to someone who challenges the resurrection and say, well, you know, even if we're not comfortable or sure with the arguments that they make, we could say, well, I don't know maybe about that, but here's what I do know. People really did die for this. Uh, people really did change and sacrifice all that they had for this. So, so scholars, like for instance, you get a guy named Bart Ehrman who, who adamantly is uh, opposing uh, the message of the New Testament, the, valid, uh, the, uh, the truthfulness of the New Testament. He, I watched him in a debate say, I do not know how to answer the question of Paul. Okay? So something like that, that's, that, that's there. And then again, this historical argument, which historians are, are totally... There's no other movement. There's, there is no other... I mean, it's not through family. It's not through society. It's not through any other social like linking point that people are binding together in unity and suffering the worst tragedies, uh, they, uh, it, it's amazing. It's amazing, you know, the way that God takes care of his people. I do have a question. Yeah. Um, in the last sentence, it says, one day he will return to judge all people and angels. Now, is there a reason why you include angels in there? I know mm-hmm. that yeah, so do you remember Jesus is, uh, uh, he's hanging out with his disciples, and uh, I think, I, if I remember right, he's in a synagogue, and, and a demonic, uh, demonically oppressed man uh, says, you're Jesus, you're the Christ, and then there's this sort of, con- and I might be conflating a couple of these, I, I'm sorry, but there's a moment where the demon says, don't, uh, 
Don't no. This is the uh, this is the one with the pigs. Thank you. Uh, what was that, Matthew? Matthew eight, and he says, "Do not destroy us before the what appointed time." Yeah, so we're affirming that even the demons know there's a time where the judgment will fall on even them. So that's that's Jesus's job. Uh, I wouldn't divide. I wouldn't divide those two. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I would put those very closely together. Yeah, even though those could. Yeah, I mean, like we think of it, we we sort of section them as like you have, you know, maybe a judgment announced. And then a punishment, a punishment executed. Uh, I would say those are, you know, when the judgment's announced, the execution's as good as done. If that helps. Okay. Well, then how are like because we know God has already condemned them to hell, right? Okay. In the future, so He's done that judgment, but it hasn't been carried out yet. In the fact that like there was a demon possessed man, right? Say say that one more time. Sorry. So God has already condemned them through His judgments. To hell, but they are not. Um, they have not. It hasn't been carried out yet because, like, there's demons. There was demons in the world. Okay. So wouldn't those be separated? I think. So what I think we're getting. So the the condemnation is announced at like, for instance, um, Genesis chapter three. Or uh, I think it's uh, two, one, one or two, where God says, "Don't eat of that fruit, for you will surely die." That is the announcement of condemnation. Meaning, the result of this will be this. So once it takes place, the announcement's already happened. But the judgment of that, I think, is what we're, we're we, there's a division there. So in one sense, we understand our condemnation already. But you and I, right, even before knowing Christ, did not receive our judgment right but does this make sense i mean i, I don't want to i feel like we're slipping into the murky water here it sort of sounds like you're using finding judgment as what punishment is and sort of thinking that or saying that announcement is the verdict if that makes any sense yeah but at the same time joshua i don't want us to like conflate our terms in the way that we think of like the judicial system as the same as what's being referenced in scripture yeah. So I mean, I'm not saying that there's not overlap. I just think that some of those specifics are probably thought of differently. Does that make sense? Yep. So and there's a number of examples. Like for instance, when we talk about like uh, when we talk about how you're how you become a Christian and how you're saved, there's instances where we would divide events in your in what's called the order of salvation. Like we would say this happens before this, before this, before this. But many of those things are simultaneous. They're not concurrent in the sense they don't happen at the same time, but they're not measurably like different than than that you and I will be able to tell. There's logical precedent. Thank you. Temporal precedent. Thank you. Thank you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. It's it, we could talk about any anybody want to follow up on that? Oh, uh, going back to the Jesus being bodily resurrected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the Charles Colton quote when he says, that, okay. I know that the resurrection is a fact. Watergate proved it to me. Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. 
Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles did it for 40 years? And <laughs> <laughs> Is that uh, how now shall we then live? That people can keep alive for that long. That doesn't happen anywhere else in history. There's no lives yeah. that are kept. Yeah, that's good. Is that, is that is that is that from uh, oh the autobi okay yeah he he's got uh, he wrote one with Nancy Percy called how now shall we then live which is like a follow up to Francis Schaeffer's uh, history history of, of of society oh I was just gonna say also the other thing is every human led cult always is dissipated yeah you know there's there's no sustaining evidence of that over long periods of time, uh, or going back to the, the you know, why would all these people from all other parts of the world, you know, have this in common? And going back to the ancient world, I think it's interesting to see how it does trouble historians. Uh, both Stephanie and I separately took a uh, college class when we were undergrads that was uh, we spent a lot of time camping in Luke and Acts. Mm-hmm. It was not a Christian, it was a classics. Oh, cool. Class. And it really bugged him. And so, of course, I was the, you know. <laughs> that guy? And she had the same professor, different semester, uh, and kind of a similar experience. And it really, really rankled him. Uh, but the reason he liked to look at Luke and Acts uh, was because he figured, well, Luke was a good um, yeah. historian because of his training as a physician. Yeah. But anyway, he kind of glossed over the whole Sure, of course. Well, it has to be treated as history, right? right. So that's the yeah. It was a movement, but he remember he said it. Yeah, it was, huh? Anymore. I Classics. bet they've removed that. You know, I bet they've removed that. <laughs> yeah, well, interesting. Um, any, any other questions on this? It's good conversation. Joshua, did you do you feel like you got your question answered? Okay. All right. All right, let's move on. Um, at this rate, we're definitely going to push out. Um, okay, section seven, the saving work of Jesus Christ. The uh, A, the humiliation of Christ and his saving work. In the entirety of his life and death, Jesus Christ humbled himself to serve as our mediator in obedience to his Father's saving purposes. As the second Adam, his sinless life of wholehearted obedience to God's law obtained the gift of perfect righteousness and eternal life for all of God's elect. In his substitutionary death on behalf of his people, Christ offered himself by the Spirit as a perfect sacrifice which satisfied the demands of God's law by paying the full penalty for their sin. On the cross, Christ bore our sins, took our punishment, propitiated God's wrath against us, vindicated God's righteousness, and purchased our redemption in order that we might be reconciled to God and live with him in blessed fellowship forever. There's a few $5 words in there. What do you think? How about word three? Entirety. What's up with that? Uh, 
Why would we say in the entirety of his life and death? Well, never once did he try to exert his or display his um, God nature in a, main, in a means that would be uh, self-aggrandizing. Yeah. For lack of a better term. It was always done to proclaim uh, God's glory or to uh, prove his identity. Um, he didn't go around doing miracles and say, hey, check this out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of the time he told them to be quiet. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. keep a lid on it. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, if you look at all the miracles, it was, and then people think, well, what about the feeding of the 5,000? Well, he fed them bread and fish. It wasn't like he had this massive feast that was, uh, oh, it's like the Ritz Carlton c- catering caravan <laughs> yeah, showed up, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, the, he's he's just making sure they can. Yeah, that's good. Even that he suffered as an infant, you know, that he chose to go through life and grow from infancy, and because there's a lot of trial in going from infancy to a child, to yeah. a teen, to an adult. Yeah. So he could have just gone to run for life. Yeah, I mean, why not just uh, beam down as a you know strapping 25 year old man? Right. I mean, I know that's probably what I'm shooting for if I get to pick. Right. I'm tr- 25 was a good year. Uh, you know what I mean? Keith, you feel me? <laughs> What's that? <laughs> so, yeah. So, so that's exactly right. Yeah. The the entire all of his life, all of his life is a life of service. At the very essential core, he is serving the Father, right? And he is going on behalf of the Godhead and he is doing this work in the incarnation, right? But then even more so, he is uh, clearly serving the people uh, that he ministers to. He is serving the disciples who he teaches, the patience that he exerts when they uh, are stubborn, the patience that he gives them when they uh, are just not getting it because they're thick, uh, all of this, all the way through to the point of when he's standing before the Sanhedrin and they're humiliating him, he's not calling them all out on the carpet. Yeah, that's for you, by the way. He did that for you guys, for me. He sat there, he sat there and he took a licking uh, and was humiliated so that we can sit in here today and be united together in him and know that our sins are fully paid for. Yeah. I like how Rich said it today in the sermon, God cannot hold your sins against you because he already held all your sins against Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I have an interesting question. Yeah. Why the choice of word purchased when it says purchased our redemption? Can, I'm sorry, Josh. I'm having a hard time hearing today. Can you repeat that? Um, when it says purchased our redemption, why is the word purchased used? Okay. Um, Rather than a different word. What, what do you, so, okay, so that's a good question. It's not, I, I see what you're saying, like, who's he purchased? Like who? What's where's the transaction? Like context, like more specific meaning. 
I just don't know if I'm understanding it correctly. Is there a reference in here for that? Because my my I feel like that's New Testament language. Um, but isn't that the whole concept of redeemed? He bought us back. He purchased us by His own blood. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's I'm I'm, but I think what. Uh, can I dive in? Yeah. Here? So yeah. I think of words like okay, like uh, what's, what, what's the opposite of purchase? Steal. Okay. So I take something of value that's not mine, so I don't have to give anything for it. Another word would be procure. Okay. So you could go into the kitchen. You probably do this frequently. Go into the refrigerator and procure food for yourself. Okay. You probably didn't buy it. But you go and get it, and it's legally, you are lawfully able to go and obtain said food, right? Then purchase is taking something of personal value and exchanging it for something else. So you have to give up something to get something. And I think that's maybe the emphasis there. As I read the whole context of it, Jeff, you... That's, that's the references. The references yeah. take you to the two passages that talk about redemption. He purchased us through the sacrifice of his blood. Yeah. So the two words you need to look at, I think, are before it, propitiated, and reconciled. So propitiated is satisfying God's anger by purchasing our redemption so that for all time following we can be re- reconciled to God. But I think it's referring to God, to Christ's giving of his infinitely precious blood to satisfy, to propitiate our sins um, with God the Father or God's wrath so that we can be reconciled. It wasn't like Jesus went up. It's like he could perform, like when he did the miracle in Cana of changing water to wine, he just kind of went, this is what happened. It didn't break a sweat. We don't perceive in the scriptures of any of his miracles, really. But then now... Here he has to not only break a sweat, he starts sweating blood when he's praying, and then he is bleeding when they, you know, stab him. So does that help yeah. at all? That's kind of where I go with that. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, it is an ex- there is an exchange that's happening, right? And so. Yeah. And the, and so the danger uh, of you know putting cards on the table, there is a danger of being like, well, who did you pay? Who did who did he pay? And uh, that can get dangerous quickly. So like he's not just so we're clear. This is not a uh, okay. Chronicles of Narnia, right? Uh, White Witch. Uh, it's that you got to do this, this, and this, and then there's this exchange or payment, right? It's not like that. Okay, unfortunately, that as cool as it is, is not an adequate or an appropriate representation. Um, that being said, there is a transaction that takes place. And again, we want to use the same language that the scripture uses. So that's that's there. And then also we can't just like narrow down that language to how we understand those terms. So there's a spectrum for terms. And we have to be able to realize that sometimes our understanding is one spot on that spectrum. And we have to realize that there is a slider we're going to have to move down to maybe land closer. And the best way to do that is to look at all the places that word is used and then see if we can get a fuller idea that way. Does does that help? Okay. We'll have to talk about that some more. I feel like there's more, a lot more meat on the bone. Okay.
Yeah. Anybody want to follow up on that? I think that definition you had about like purchase more, giving something of value for something of value rather than. I guess one of the things that was really just tripping me up is that I think that like when you pay for something, it's usually, I imagine that as an equal transaction usually, and this was not an equal transaction. No, right. <laughs> That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, but right. Remember, it's supposed to be likened to purchasing a slave. You know, as something that you know what I mean. Has, okay. I mean, when 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 Hosea had to go buy Gomer, yeah. he wasn't really worth much. Right. We're not really worth anything yeah. value yeah. except for what he sees in us. It's not yeah. like he looks and goes, "Well, you're you're." But what we are, but what we provide though, is the yeah. opportunity for God to display His glory. Yeah. Right. So that's all we are. Yeah. But we only bring our sin to the table. Yeah. So when you're saying like a transaction. You know, it, you're right. It doesn't make sense. That's the whole rule of the gospel. It makes absolutely no sense of why we should pay for anything. Yeah. Because we're not, we're just like Gomer, right? We're, yeah, we're yeah. And our sin is terrible. Yep. And, you know, it makes it sound as if, you know. So I think the easiest way to work through this, if we want to really simplify it, not hitting all the notes, yeah. but simplifying it, is the transaction happens within the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so, so God's own justice and glory must be manifested in the punishment of sin. And so rather than that manifestation happening in us, Jesus fulfills and satisfies that manifestation of glory and holiness impacting sin just like we spoke about on Wednesday. So that transaction that takes place is within the Godhead, and that's what Jesus is doing in incarnate. And we'll get to the Holy Spirit. He's the one that makes it even clear that you need help because you can't do it on your own. that's right. Because you are sinful and you think that somehow you deserve it. (laughs) Yeah, there's no shortage of that. Yeah, there's no shortage. People mess up the story of salvation. Yeah. Because they make it sound like God saw something in that. Yeah, yeah. Down the quarters of time, saw that they would choose him. Yeah. Which magnifies man and not magnifying God. That's right, amen. You know, some people say it like this: God voted yes, Satan voted no. You cast Uh, the deciding vote. I'm like, uh, that makes it sound like. I have not heard that one. (laughs) No, that's a pretty bad one right there. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's tough. God. That's tough. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Lord. Well, that's what I kind of think. A little <laughs> so, weird. You're saying there's people in hell that God died for, you know, but they defeated God's plan. Oh wow. Yeah, there, there. Yep. I there's a lot of folks in that part of the world. But it's also about the restoration. So man was created in God's image, mm-hmm. was sinless, then, but also was given a free will. With that free will, first opportunity, go and sin. <laughs> Okay, and then so it's it's a restoration back to be because then God cannot be united with sin because He is holy. Mm-hmm. Right? So now, in order to make this creation acceptable back to God for eternity, then that like you said that transaction had to happen because there was no there's no other resource in the universe that could uh, yeah. Restore something that was in the image of God back to said image, unless it comes from and back to the God. Yeah, yeah. By God for God. Yeah, from for all. Throw every preposition in there. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so there, uh, just to kind of wrap this up, uh, there, is a, there is a passage in Romans, I want to say 4, that's probably not right, but it's definitely in the early passages of Romans, where it talks about God, uh, uh, he passed over the sins of the people so that he would be both just and justifier. So essentially, like, not dealing with the sin until an appointed time, and then in doing it, he is both able to forgive and justify right, those who he would save, right? And then also fully, completely punish and deal with sin in whole. Yes. Oh, it is five. Okay. So I, I just, I see there that there is this um, both and that's going on. But that does represent a determination of the Godhead to not deal with sin except for in a specific way. And then doing so, accomplishing these two things. Just both the one who is just and the one who justifies. Amen. That's good. That's good. I I think we have about 15 minutes if we're being... Like, he went fast today. Do we think so? I think you went fast today. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's, I think, I think it'll happen. Yeah, hey, it's all up to you. It's all up to you. Um, no, 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 it's okay. The efficacy of Christ's saving work, okay? God the Father was pleased to accept Christ's sacrifice as a complete atonement for sin, raising him to a new life, and vindicating his identity and work as the Messiah for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, God's righteousness requires no further sacrifice for sin, nor is there any human achievement or merit to be added to Christ's accomplishment. The atoning work of Christ is wholly efficacious. I never get that one out right. Securing the full salvation of all the elect by purchasing the forgiveness of sins, the gift of faith and repentance, eternal life, and every other blessing that comes to God's people. As the sole and sufficient atonement for sin, Christ's saving work is to be proclaimed to all people without exception as the only means of reconciliation with God. There is no other mediator between God and man than our Savior, Jesus Christ, and he will receive with the redeeming love all who come to him in faith. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. What do you think? Somebody give me a summarizing, one one sentence summarizing this. Who's so bold? (laughs) Oh, I see, Daniel. I see you getting the old elbow there. That's a new shade of red, too, buddy. (laughs) What Jesus has done in his life is completely effective. He accomplished everything. He aimed to. That's two sentences. But and without us. Yep, and without us. Good. So, you, Joshua, you should have done it, man. <laughs> seems like you, you're like, oh, I'll, I'll try the coattails. That seems a little more <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Okay. 
Anybody want to hit on anything? It's okay. We have time. I, sort of. Okay. No? All right. Let's, let's go to the next. The exaltation of Christ in his saving work. The exaltation of Christ in his resurrection, ascension, and reign reveals the full glory of his mediatorial work. Raised by the power of God, Christ triumphed over sin, death, and Satan, and as the first fruits of the new creation gives eternal life to all who are united in him by faith. Having ascended to the Father's right hand, Christ pours out the Spirit on his people and intercedes on their behalf as a great high priest, constantly advocating their cause and granting them access into God's presence. As the exalted Lord, Christ reigns with all authority as universal king and head of his church, governing the affairs of men and nations and empowering his people to be victorious over sin and Satan. The consummation of Christ's saving work will occur when he returns to judge the world in righteousness, deliver the kingdom to his father, and receive eternal worship as king of kings and lord of lords. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Yes. Going back to the efficacious on saving by Jesus, I think that's kind of what is the problem with our world today is that people are trying to add Jesus and Oh yeah. You know, not and they don't realize that by doing that, by just like looking and listing all quote the sins of the church, that they're trying to make it seem as if the saving grace of Jesus isn't enough. Mm, that's good. You can see like Salvation isn't enough to bring people together of differing races. Mm. Salvation isn't enough to address all these different questions about sexuality and gender. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah. So in a sense, it's kind of like the salvation, the gospel message is being deleted yeah. or really put asunder by saying that it's not enough. Yeah. But when you, yeah. Sorry, I did that thing again where I interrupt. No, that's okay. I just, that's what I wanted to say. We can say we all agree to the efficacious message of the gospel, and yet we're not when we say we have to add to it by addressing these issues that really were all addressed at the cross. So here's the way I think of it, though, is that if you take, if you, quote, dilute the gospel, it's not like, well, it's just a little, like, lower strength gospel. Okay? It's not a gospel at all. It's like if you take iron, pure iron... It's a horrible material by yeah. itself. Okay, you dilute it with just four percent carbon. Poof! Now you got steel. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's it's a completely different uh, material in terms of its properties. You, you can't compare iron and steel. Yeah. Mechanically or anything. Um, maybe thermodynamically, but anyway. Um, the, but the but the point is, believing the gospel, you, you no longer have any gospel. Yeah. That's what you know? my point is. Yeah. So yeah. Is that it's kind of in what seeing what has happened in the world in the past yeah. year. It's yeah. kind of been sad to see Christians apologize for something that shouldn't even be part of the narrative. Yep. So th- that hits on a number of hot buttons. Um, and on that, <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to. Yeah. I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave that. Uh, so we'll let's just maybe we maybe that's where we all plant our flag this week. But uh, there there is a nut. So yes, the the gospel is all encompassing of all life. Um, 
there is one man. And the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. And there is one shoot that all branches are grafted into. There is no division within the church. There isn't. However, when we forget that, there is both an element in which people don't think that is enough, so it doesn't address, or, or probably most people would say, well, we're not, we're not leveraging that message of the gospel to do gospel things. You can go really far with that, and you can really dilute the who does what in the gospel, right? To Well, now we have to do gospel nature work or whatever. I mean, like all these kinds of things, like nature care or whatever. That is not the same as I need to be able to see and to observe the suffering that takes place in my brother, and I should not say, hey, stay warm and be fed, and then walk away knowing they're shivering and empty stomach. That is not just about food and warmth. That is about the injustices and all the things that we suffer across different barriers, whatever it is, whether it's social groups or, or, or economics or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like We can't neglect those things and say that we truly are living a life full of grace. The, the contradictory. Yeah, but doing those things does not instill us back or does not instill in us grace. It's an outgoing. No. Not a, not a yeah. uh, justification for. Correct. Yeah. So they're not. I'm. What? You I, know know. Were, I know you weren't trying to apply that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it is important to say like we're not saying add to. It's a there is an entire world that we are responsible to proclaim the gospel message to. Both in word and in life. So. When we talk about if we come across and advocate and we want to, uh, you know, take up a cause or something like that, if it's done and, and fully uh, with all conviction and faith, not in fear, but in faith for the glory of Christ, then I, I'm all about it. Go for it. Uh, but if we think for a second uh, that we're going to do something that only the Lord can do, um, or if we think for a second that uh, it's going to add to what he has done, uh, then then that's just not right. It's not right. So does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. How about the last topic? Anything there? We're 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 like two three minutes. It's okay if you if you have a question, and I'll tell you what. I'll stick back if you guys want to talk a little bit more, um, and we'll uh, maybe Trey will take up section eight uh, next week and we'll just bump them out so anything okay hopefully uh, hopefully some things to chew on and think about as you go through the week and um, uh, yeah, if you want to talk some more, I'll stay back. But thank you guys. You guys, I really appreciate everybody interacting so well and appreciate the uh, honesty and, and the dialogue. So let me pray and then we can go ahead and take off. Lord, I just thank you so much for this group and I thank you so much for uh, your work in this place, Lord, and uh, just the blessing it is to my soul. Um, I pray, Lord, that uh, uh, that we would 
we would know you're going to glorify yourself in all of us. And so I pray that we would see that in one another and we would be excited about that in one another. Lord, so I pray that you would encourage us as we think through these things and help us. Um, And we pray, Lord, that we would go in your grace and that we would be multipliers of your grace. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your work. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, you're free to go. Yeah, absolutely. Almost made it. Almost made it. Thank you. Yeah, man. I think we got to bring the coffee pot in here. I ran out way too soon. And it, and it's a, is it toasty in here? Okay. Oh, man. I was like, I'm like, this isn't working. The sleeve rolling is not doing its job. <laughs> Yeah. When I listened to the audio mm-hmm. of the first or some meeting, we couldn't hear the question from the room on the tape. I wondered about that. Yeah. Okay. So Was that in the first uh, statement of faith one? I'm, no, I haven't listened to that. Yet. Okay. So it was at the Ephesians. Was yeah, it, was I teaching it? No. Okay. Okay. So what I'll do is I'm going to talk with Zach. Just repeat the question. And I didn't think of it at the time because it seems like we could hear it. Okay. That's a great point. And um, yeah. And one of the things I'm hoping we can do. In fact, I I left it on right now. Uh, one of the things.